Well, for the last couple of weeks, uh, we have been spending time looking at what God has designed His church to do on purpose. That's why we've called this sermon series, Church on Purpose. What do we do on purpose? You know, uh, a lot of times we do things on accident, you know, um, and that's normal, that's life. But what are we supposed to do on purpose? Um, that we really we really say, God, these are the things that uh, we want to, to make sure we're, we're working on and putting our energies toward. And um, I'm hoping what's been happening as we've been looking at, at we call them Port View Pete up there, um, as we've been looking at this idea of um, church on purpose, that um, we're getting a clearer picture of what God wants us to put our energies into. We've been going, if you're visiting, going week by week through these five different areas. Today, in a minute, we're going to be on the right leg on mentoring. Um, but we're getting a clearer picture on what God wants us to put our energies into. There's all kinds of good things we can do. But the scriptures are really clear. They say these are the things that, that he structured his church to do and that we need to structure our lives and our church around these things. And we've been thinking about this, that our motto as a church is because we care. Because we care, we do these things. Because we care, we worship God with our lives. And, and because we care, you can leave that other one back up there. Because we care, we'll get to that guy in a minute. Because we care, um, we connect authentically with people in God's family. Because we care, we, we influence seekers to find Jesus. And today in a little while, we're going to look at, because we care, we're going to look at Pete's, Pete's uh, right leg in a little while, that because we care, we mentor people towards Christ-like living. You know, but before we talk about that, we transition into the specific of looking at this one thing, mentoring people towards Christ-like living. Before we do that, I want to explain something about the big picture that we're looking at here, because we're five weeks or yeah, five weeks into this because we did an intro sermon first. And here's what I'm I'm kind of a, afraid of that as we're looking at these pieces and kind of breaking them apart and saying these are the things that the local church and our individual lives are supposed to be engaged in, that this process or this time we're looking at it, looking at these things, that you could be getting a little bit overwhelmed. That you could look at it and say, you know, I thought loving Jesus is just, Christianity is about loving Jesus. All i got to do is sing some worship songs and it's all all right. And, and now you're saying, but this is what God designed His church to do. And you could be feeling a little bit overwhelmed by that and say, you know, it's kind of complex. I got a, Pastor Mark, i got a busy life. You know, Pastor Mark, I got things I got kids to raise and job to do and mortgages to pay and, you know, snow to blow and, and all this stuff going on. And, and now it seems like you're heaping some things on top of me. And I'm, I'm looking at it and saying, you know, I'm kind of feeling overwhelmed. Um, you look at it and you say, well, you told me one week to invest in the people around me that don't know Christ and invite them to church and, and, and lead them to Christ. And you told me I'm supposed to connect um, with other believers, you know, preferably in a small group, and that I'm, today we're looking at mentoring uh, someone towards Christ-like living. And next week you're going to—I can see because there's five parts—we're uh, going to talk to another one next week, and and uh, that's a lot of different things to do. Well, here's what I want you to understand about this big picture today: these things are not really five separate things. They have—we we, got to make sure the five are there, but these are really completely interrelated. That these things—they overlap in your relationships. And what I'm hoping you get, especially today, is that it's just all about relationships. It's really about just connecting with people. And that we just have different types of connections with different people. And that, that these, these side things, if we, have a, if we have a healthy Christian life that's really devoted to just walking with Jesus and living out a life of worship, these things will be there if we live for Christ on purpose. For example, let's just think of, a, of how they could all overlap. 
You know, for example, maybe you have been investing into someone at work. You just happen to work by them and you happen to just like each other and, and you just recognize from their lifestyle and your conversations that, that they don't know Jesus yet. You know, they know all about religion maybe, but they've not come to have a real personal relationship with Christ. So as you're investing into them at work, kind of, kind of sharing your life with them and sharing what Jesus does in your life, you're investing in them, maybe you're helping them out with some things, and, and then you feel it's time to invite them to church. And you invite them to church, and, and just maybe when you invite them to church, they, they just give their life to Jesus, and you're celebrating. You know, you're happy. The person you've been investing into, praying for, you know God's given you a connection. They've come to a real faith in Christ. And then in this new relationship, now you've always had a relationship, but now this relationship has, has changed a little bit. Now you're, you're both kind of on the same side. You're both Christ followers. And so in this relationship, then you, you as a friend of theirs, invite them to join you maybe in a Bible study you attend or, or maybe in a small group that you attend um, with that people that make up your, your close community, those people that you're doing life together. Remember we talked about in the church that we're friends with everybody, we're close with a few, and we have issues with none. And so we do life with a, with a handful of people because we can't just be super close with everybody. And so you invite them into that, into that world, into your close community. And as you interact with that group and, and uh, you just go through life together, you take opportunities with them to explain scriptures at the appropriate time and you take time to help them see things through Christian eyes that, that you understand that as, as you help them read through a grid work of Christianity that their worldview is kind of changing and you're helping them to see those things and, and maybe one day you decide to join the folks that were here yesterday and you, you jump in a car together and you, you drive down to city on a hill and you do some, some service together on a Saturday. You do all that stuff just because you're in relationship with them. What you've been just doing is kind of hanging out together with them. What you've really been doing is you've been living what, what Scripture would say is a normal Christian life. But really, if you examine it, what you've been doing is you've been fulfilling the purposes of the church. That you've been living a lifestyle of worship because worship is serving the Lord with all of your life. And it's not, we've talked about it, it's not just singing songs. That's part of it, but it's, it's giving all of your all to Christ. And so really you've been worshiping Him through your life. And by doing that, you've, you've brought somebody into the kingdom and you've connected them with others building community and you've helped them to grow and you've taught them to serve. And when you look at it, you realize that you've really been fulfilling the purposes of the church. That they're all related together. They're all interrelated. And I really, before we get into this next section, I wanted you to really grasp that today. Because I've been sensing a little bit of sense like, Pastor Mark, you're heaping a lot of junk on us, a lot of stuff on us. But I want you to understand it's just all about relationships. And primarily you have three relationships in your world. You have a relationship with God. You have a relationship with, with people. And those people are broke down into two categories. Those who know Jesus and those who don't know Jesus. And it's just talking about living out a life of those three relationships and how they're all interrelated. And when we live a, what's on just, Scripture shows a normal Christian life, these things will happen if we just focus on them and say, I want to, I want to be fulfilling what God wants His church to fulfill. Does that make sense? Not quite as maybe intimidating and quite as, um, as uh, overwhelming as maybe it, it seemed to before, before you, we, we talked about it today. Now then. Then we come, let's, let's, let's get from the general to the, the particular. And let's look at, at Portview Pete again here and look at his right leg. You know, we've looked at his head and his right arm and his left arm, and now we're going to look at his, his right leg, which is, says mentor in it. That it's mentoring people. And the, the full expression of that is mentoring people toward Christ-like living. That that's what we want to talk about today. 
we want to talk about if we are walking with God and we evaluate our life, that part of our life should be invested in mentoring people towards Christ-like living. Now, I'm going to do something today that I don't think I've ever done before. I've been... Make you nervous? <laughs> um, uh, right at about 23 years as a, as, a, as a lead pastor, preaching every single Sunday of my life, and, and I'm going to do something I don't think I've ever done before. I'm going to basically re-preach a message to you that I've preached to you before. Um, four years ago, on January 25th, 2009. Um, if you don't know this, I preach from a script. Um, and I spend a ton of time creating the sermons that God wants me to create. And I can go back, I can go back 23 years and tell you what I preached on any particular Sunday. And I do some embellishment. Usually embellishment gets me in trouble. But, um, but I, I, I really always felt that if you want to preach long-term to a group of people, you have to put a, a ton of energy into making sure you, com- you communicate very clearly. And so I'm very, uh, you know, very uh, um, on purpose, I write a lot of stuff down. And on January 25th, 2009, I preached a message to this church, and I was beginning to prepare for this section. And I felt the Lord reminded me of that, and I went to my old notes, and I looked at it, and I said, oh, my goodness, I really recognize something is something really neat going on here. Because four years ago, on January 25th, 2009, I preached a message. I'd been here one month as a pastor of this church. And I took what I thought was a pretty bold step. Maybe you didn't think it was. But I stood here and I said, I believe that the Lord has given me a word for our congregation. Had given an image in my mind of what He wanted His church to look like. What, he, what His plan was for Portview Church. And I really believed it was, and I said this in the notes, um, I read through it and I well, that was a pretty bold statement, saying that prophetically God was looking at his church and was talking about the future, and that, and I really believe God was saying this as we come to this point, he's saying, Mark, the future is now. That you said this, this is the preferred future. But God's saying the future is now. And what I did on that Sunday to remind you of what that day was, I brought something into the sanctuary and I set it on a table up here. And... Um, does anybody remember four years ago, hasn't been too many times, when I set something on here? You remember what I brought in? An incubator. Exactly. How many people were here in part of the church four years ago? Okay? A little less than half. Maybe right about half. Four years ago, I brought an incubator in. And I said this incubator, I believe, was a picture God had given me in my mind and my spirit of what he wanted the church to look like. It's amazing. Ray, you remember four years ago just like that. (laughs) And so uh, an incubator. And what I told you on that day is that I believe God sees this church as a place where he would birth people into his family. And let's face it, he's done that a lot, hasn't he? Over the last four years, we have been part of having the privilege of baptizing dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of people. It's been wonderful, hasn't it? Hasn't it been great? You know, we, when I I said, I believe God. Now, you remember, that was kind of, it's a risk for me to stand here four years ago and say, I'm telling you, people are going to come to Christ. In 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 a time, in a community that people say, it don't happen very easy. But it's been happening regularly all the time. And that, that God would, would use us to bring people into his kingdom, but then he would use us beyond that to care for and to nurture those people for him. And we would be his incubator. We would be a place for caring for the young and the weak in Christ. Let's look at what, remember what we looked like. We looked at something that looked kind of like this. 
We'll get an incubator. I believe that little picture God gave me in my mind saying we would be like this, that we would be a place where, where those brand new Christians, little chicks, that God would use us to reach them, but then he'd bring them in. And God, you know, if you take a brand new chick, and Dave, you raise chickens, if you take a brand new chick and you just let it sit out all its own, well, how long will it last? Stick it outside. Yeah. Ten minutes. Okay, so that's not a very long life expectancy. Ten minutes if you just let it on its own. But God was saying, you know what, I'm going to use this church to bring people um, into the kingdom, but then that we would be his incubator, that we'd be a place for caring for the young and the weak in Christ, that we'd be a place for spiritual growth, where people would learn to grow and develop in their spiritual walk. And, and understand, that's, that's a big statement. Because it's saying that not only are we, God going to use us to reach the lost, but this is going to be a place where people are going to really grow and really mature, but it has another aspect to it, that the people of the church, because that's what I talked about, would be the incubator. That we'd be a place of safety and a place of security for those whom God would use us to influence and that we would be a place where we would take seriously the task of helping people to grow spiritually. Well, as I was preparing this week, I really sensed the Spirit of the Lord say to me, Mark, the future is now. And here's what I think God wants us to really do today. I believe that God wants us to really take seriously this idea of being an incubator of being a place where we mentor people towards Christ-like living on purpose. We don't just think it happens automatically, because it doesn't. See, we as as a staff of the church have done a lot of structural work to accomplish a structure that allows for this to happen. We've put the right kind of classes in place. We've structured our services in such a way that somebody, we can reach the lost, and we have the opportunity now to have a place where somebody can come in and be nurtured. But now what has to happen as a congregation is that we need to own it. Because you're going to see in a little while as we go through this, this really isn't about church structure. The church structure has to be in place. The structure could fight it. But we have a structure in place that enables it. But now what we need to do as a congregation, as individuals, in our relationships, we need to own it. You see, the Bible reveals this incredibly simple plan. It says, you mentor someone who will mature, and in turn they will mentor someone who will mature, and in turn, mentor someone else. And we think of that in relationship with our children all the time, right? That we're supposed to mentor them to Christ-like living. And that we expect they'll do that for their children. And as a sense of a church family, that's the kind of thing that ought to be going on, that we have to put our energies into and say, are we doing that? Do we own that responsibility to do that outside the realm of just my own children? You see, it's a process of just passing it on. But beyond that, the process of passing it on... Scripturally shows us that it is the process that God has designed to transform the world. And you say, wow, that's a, that's a strong statement. Read the Scripture, it really is. Um, it's a, it's, well, let me prove it to you. Grab your Bibles. Turn to a, a verse of Scripture that's incredibly familiar to us. In Matthew chapter 28, the very last words of Jesus in the book of Matthew, verses 28, 19, and 20, We referred to it last week as a starting point saying he told us to make disciples, but the start of a disciple is someone who actually comes to meet Jesus. Well, now let's look at what what he's saying in this text, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Verse 19, Go therefore... And make disciples. Does he say, go and make converts? 
You know, does he say go and make church members? We're going to talk about, you know, today we have an annual meeting. There's this idea of members and non-members or members and attenders. And, and uh, does he say that, that that was his great challenge to us, his great command to us, go and make members? No. Does he say go and build buildings? Great edifices unto the Lord, great, great monuments to the Lord. Does he say to do that? No. Those things are okay. Matter of fact, they're necessary. We have to have members in a church in order to conduct business because we live in a world that makes us do that. And if you want to have a tax deduction for what you give, we've got to follow the rules of the, of the state. And so we've got to have members, you know. All this stuff that just just part of, of what it is to be a church. Those things are okay and they're necessary. But Jesus said the goal in these relationships, the goal is to make disciples. That we lead people to Jesus so that they then will become a disciple or a follower of Christ. Somebody who really is a learner, who becomes like the one they follow. That's what a disciple is. So Scripture, he tells us to go and make disciples. And what that is... In, in kind of the words that we want to talk about today is it's talking about mentoring. And when we talk, the reason we had Pete's legs say mentor instead of disciple is because sometimes if I use the word disciple, what happens is people think it means somebody who's got Rev in front of their name teaching a class. And that's not at all what it means. It's not academic. What we're talking about today is not really academic. It's got some academic dimensions to it, but it's not primarily academic. That when we say that God called us to, to disciple, in our, in our understanding, it's, He's really calling us to mentor people. To simply say that find someone who's a few steps behind you in their spiritual journey and wants to, to grow. They're a learner. They want to learn. One thing I learned, long, learned a long time ago, if they don't want to learn, you can't make them learn. But somebody who really wants to advance, and then you help them to understand God's Word and God's way. That's what a mentor is. And understand this, friends, it's not primarily in the classroom. Matter of fact, the classroom is the least effective place to learn anything, pretty much, but especially learning how to be, to mentor, how to be mentored, how to grow in Christ. This is not a classroom thing. So what's happened, the reason I want to emphasize that today is because we'll say, we're looking at Fort View Pete, and we're saying, well, mentoring is a job of the church, and it is, but I want you to understand it's a job of the church that comes down to the individual person. It comes down to the relationships that you have. And somebody would say, well, do you have the right classes in place? We do. We have the structure in place. I, every Wednesday, teach a class that's designed primarily for people newer to their faith. And that's the, that's, the, uh, that's the plan of that class. We have structure in place. We have, we have other things in place. I gave Pastor Paul a job when he came here. By the way, if, if you don't ever pat Pastor Paul on the back, you need to. That guy works a ridiculous amount of hours and has a ridiculous portfolio that's just too big, but it is what it is. Um, but I gave him a job. I said, he said, what do you want me to do? I said, create a discipleship plat- track, a mentoring track, from when somebody's born until they turn 18. I said, no big deal, right? <laughs> Change them all. <laughs> okay, so that, that, that the track's in place, but the classroom is only part of it. In, for discipleship, for mentoring to be effective, it's not about really a classroom. It's about the day in and day out events of life with you interacting with another person in relationship. You know, it's about spending time at a girl's sleepover with a little girl who's maybe afraid of the dark and sitting and talking about how Jesus is there. It's about the relationships. Friends, this is about a relationship. It's not about a church program. And that's what we need. That's, that's the thing I want you to grasp today. It's not about a church program. Because the easy thing we say is, the church does that. And I always say, if you come to me, you always say this. Somebody says, Pastor Mark, I think the church ought to. What is always my response to you? you know, I, I say, I agree. What's God asking you to do? 
No, 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 no. The church ought to. And I say, I agree. Obviously, the Lord has put it on your heart. So what is God asking you to do? And they go, huh? I say, I said, no, that's the way it works. This is about us. We are the church. This is not the church. We are the church as we interact together. So this is about relationships. It's about a lifestyle, not a church program. It's about grasping this incredible privilege and responsibility that each and every one of us has, no matter how old we are or how long we've walked with Jesus, that we, as we've walked with Christ for a while, are a few steps ahead of somebody else who just is brand new to Christ, and that we can help them along the way. You see, the Bible is full of examples of this happening. Moses mentored Joshua. He took him under his wing. And he mentored them. Elijah mentored Elisha. Paul mentored Timothy. Barnabas mentored Paul, who then mentored Timothy. It's an idea of passing it along. Jesus mentored 12. Understand something. Jesus is a whole lot better at doing anything than we are. <laughs> he could handle 12. It's why you don't... don't that's, this is the reason you can't believe the job of mentoring is a pastor's job. Jesus could only do 12. I'm capable of one or two. We're all capable of one. It's how he created us. Jesus did 12. That's why a pastor can't mentor 200 or 400 or 800 people. I can be part of the process, but the relationships with other people need to be there. In, this, in the book of Titus, Scripture says that older women are to mentor younger women. And that that's, that's what God says in his word, that mentoring is part of it. See, the Scriptures are full of examples of more mature Christians mentoring less mature Christians. And I want you to notice I said more mature on purpose, not fully mature. Because if anybody in this room ever gets to fully mature, I'd really like to talk to you. Because it never happens. The longer I serve God, the more I realize, the more I've got to learn. And the more I need to grow. But there are things that all of us have learned as we have walked with Jesus that we can pass on to somebody who's just a couple steps behind us. That's what mentoring is all about. And what I want to do today for the remainder of the time that we have together is I want to explain to you today how we mentor in those relationships. How do you and I mentor somebody? How do I mentor my children? How do I mentor that person that I believe the Spirit of the Lord is going to, he's going to breathe their name into your spirit. And you're going to realize that God wants you to influence them. How do we do this? You know, how do we as a church become this incubator that God desires us to become? How do we do it? Because it doesn't happen on accident. So how do we do it? So what I want you to do today is, I challenge you to write these things down, um, and we're going to talk about how. How the people in Scripture, we're going to simply take our lead from the people in Scripture who mentored or modeled a mentoring lifestyle. And I want to give you five things. And again, these are the five things I said we need to do four years ago. And so this is kind of where we get to the point where I say, this is what we talked about. We've got to ask ourselves, how are we doing? And now is the time for us to own it. So the first thing that we do as we figure out how do we mentor people, how, how, do we, how does this happen, how do we become the incubator that God has called us to become, the first thing is this, we understand that mentoring must be done on purpose. Mentoring must be done on purpose. That's why the sermon series we're doing is church on purpose. It's what we do, what we intend to do, not by accident. It must be done on purpose. Matthew chapter 4 records the story of Jesus choosing his first disciples. And there it says that he saw Peter and Andrew, and he said something uh, very interesting to them. And it, it's, a, very, it's, a, it's a, state, a sentence that's pregnant with content. Jesus looked at them and he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. 
That was his, that was his call to them. Um, and what I see in that sentence is that there was intention in that sentence. That he did it on purpose. That Jesus looked at these guys, and he, when he looked at them and he called them, he was looking for someone to mentor. Because he invited them into a relationship. He didn't say, hey, go to the synagogue down the street, and you become a fisher of men. He said what? Follow me. Come into a relationship with me. Well, in our kind of day and age, what's he saying? He's saying, be my friend. Let's hang out together. That's what he's saying. Come on, let's spend some time together. And it says there in that relationship, he said, he invited them on purpose into this relationship to be a friend with them, to follow them. And it says that he intended to mentor them. That's what the sentence really says. He says, as you come and follow me and we spend time together, he said, you will develop from fishers of fish into fishers of men. He says, you're going to become something different because we spent time together. That there's, a, there's an intention here and an understanding here that you will become different because of our relationship. He intended to help them develop into something new for God. Friends, that's the first part that has to take place um, if we're going to ever mentor anybody. That mentoring won't happen on accident. That on purpose, we need to befriend somebody and allow God to mold them through us. That it's something that we have to do on purpose. Um, spend some time doing life with someone younger in their faith on purpose so that they can become um, what God wants them to become from a fisher of fish to a fisher of men. So that's the first thing. Second thing is this. How do we mentor? Mentoring is done by example. This is the big one. This is the heart of the whole thing. At the core of the mentoring process is the idea of learning by example. And I'll tell you, that's... Um, that's kind of scary because it means we have to be living the right way. We've got to be living in a way that we look at somebody else and say, come and follow me, and they're going to want to say, I want to end up like you. You know that old statement that says, you know, do as I do, not do as I say, not as I do? That's the opposite of mentoring. I hope those words never come out of your mouth. We want to say, do what I do, you know, and do what I say. The mentor says, follow me as I follow the Lord. You know, the person you are mentoring learns to pray as they watch you pray. They learn how to share the gospel by watching you share the gospel. They learn how to make godly decisions and how to have a, a proper relationship with other people and how to live godly lives all by watching your example. I want you to hear me today. Your example is more powerful than any sermon I can ever preach. That's the truth. Your example is more, is more powerful in a person's life than any sermon that I could ever teach. You, you teach those around you more by your example than whatever happens when I say something from behind the pulpit. Now, am I saying this is unimportant? No, because it's both. Hopefully your life lines up with what the Word of God says, and they, they're married together, and the one reinforces the other, and people grow as a result. But I'll tell you what, moms and dads, I can say things all day long, and if you go home and you live a life that's contrary, your kids, your, your example is more powerful than my words. And you spend time with somebody, and you know you sit in church next to them, you befriend them, you, you come in and, and you sit next to them in church and you worship together, and then you go live a lifestyle that's contrary to the things of God, your example is more powerful than any words I could ever speak. Our examples are important. You know, someone, for, for someone to learn by this example... We want them to learn by our example. We've got to live the example, but understand something, and I know here's where the rub comes in. It's going to take you some time. It takes energy 
for that to happen. It takes an investment into that person. And we, that's where in our overcommitted lifestyles, we oftentimes swear why it doesn't happen on purpose. But I want to tell you a story. I just I think how a typical day in and day out story how this can happen. A number of years ago, when uh, we were pastoring in, in Michigan, and there was a family that was one of the original families that helped us plant the church in Marquette. And when, they, when we started the church, they, they, the ch- family has four children, and one of the children, his name is Brandon, um, was about, I think, about 10, 12 years old when we started. And after a couple of years, Brandon started growing up, and, and Brandon was just a great kid. I love Brandon, we love Brandon, and we always said this about Brandon. He kind of felt like one of our kids. And so our kids were very small, and Brandon was a bit bigger, but we just, just had this connection with Brandon. And so, I mean, in a family of, of six people. But Brandon was kind of one that we, we just connected with. And so we really recognized that that was something that God put together, and so we began to really invest energy into Brandon. So we had him over a lot, and we would we'd go do things with him. And as a matter of fact, about everywhere I'd go, every missions trip I would take or whatever, Brandon would come along. You know, and he had a great relationship with his mom and a great relationship with his dad and great relationships with their, with their children, with his brothers and sisters. But we had this special connection. And so we'd take him wherever. And I remember taking him to Washington, D.C. to stand in the gap, one million men praying. And at that time, he's maybe 15, 16 years old. And, and he's with me bunch, with a bunch of old guys, you know, and he's there praying. He learned about prayer. He, you know, and, and I remember taking him to all different events. And, and it was funny, whenever I took Brandon, now his dad is an engineer and they had reasonable resources, but every time we went somewhere, Brandon never brought any money. And so we'd get there every time. It would be like time to eat. We'd be, I'd be in a different state with him. And he'd walk up and go, I forgot my money. And he'd always say, could you sponsor me? That was always his words. Could you sponsor me? Which meant, and i got to tell you, I didn't have two nickels to rub together. Honestly, did not have two nickels to rub together at that stage in our life. And I would sponsor Brandon. Which sometimes meant I'd buy something for Brandon. I wouldn't buy something for myself. He didn't know that. That's the truth. And we spent time together all the time. Well, one time, I took a group, I think, of about 17, 18 people from Marquette, Michigan, you know, a bunch of Upers, people who have never been outside the UP hardly, and took them down to the central city in Chicago to work with the Salvation Army right down in the worst part, um, uh, Lower Wacker Drive, where all the homeless people live, and Cabrini Green, which they've now disassembled because it was the worst housing project in America. And I took these people down there, Suzanne and I, and we went down there, and we worked with the Salvation Army, and we are doing these mobile feeding things where we're taking vans out into the worst ghettos you can ever imagine and feeding them at night. And then, so one of the times, something changed in our, in our schedule. We were there for a couple of days, and something changed, and they told us, you know what, you guys just got to go hang out in this drop-in center. And they had this place that was just a place where, where homeless people could come in and, and just spend the day in a heated place, the Salvation Army ran. And so it wasn't our real plan. That wasn't supposed to be something we had to do. And, and so, but their plans changed, so we just went to the drop-in center. And while we're at the drop-in center, um, I remember there was an old piano. And Suzanne, we're like, we're looking at each other. What do we do? And I'm like, just go and spend time with people. So Brandon stayed with me. I remember Suzanne went over to his old piano. And she just she found an old hymn book and started playing hymns. And it was like moths to a flame. All these people, especially these homeless ladies, gathered around Suzanne, just all these people, and she's singing old hymns, playing, and they're all singing hymns. You know? And I'm kind of walking around, and I look in the crowd, because there's a lot of people in that place, and I see this guy, and just something inside of me said, he doesn't fit. And uh, you know, he was kind of dirty, but his clothes was, were, were kind of nicer, and, and he, just looked, he just didn't look like the average guy in the setting. And, and something in me just said, 
go talk to him. And so I asked Brandon to come with me, and we went over, and, and we went and we sat at a table. The guy said, can I, can I sit here? And, and he said, sure. And so we started talking to the guy, and I said, you know, what's your story? And he told me this, this sad, sad story. He said, you know what? I don't belong here. He said, I really have lived, got this great life, and I've got a wife and a great job. He said, but I have a history of, of crack addiction. And he said, I haven't touched crack in like six years. And he said, for some reason, like a week ago, I just wanted a bender. He said, I know I've lost my job. I know I've lost my family. He said, they don't know where I am. They probably think I'm dead. And I just, I've, now I'm out of money. I don't have any more, any more crack. And I'm kind of just cleaning up. And I'm sitting at the Salvation Army. And I don't know what to do next. And I started talking to him about, about life. And I just sensed God saying, and that's why you have to listen to the voice of the Spirit. This guy's ripe to come to know me. So I began to share the gospel with him and find out his spiritual background. He didn't have much of a spiritual background and talk to him about Christ. And, and within, within 30 minutes probably, I said to the guy, I just, I just felt compelled. And that's why I don't believe you just have a, a rote thing, bam, 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 here's how I share the gospel. And I just sensed God saying, ask him if he wants to come and know me. And I invited him and said, would you like to receive Christ? And, and he said yes. And we prayed together for him to receive Christ. And I helped him get hooked up with the people so that they could help him to grow, to become a mentored in Christ. And when, after he's kind of gone, and Brandon's sitting there and he said, how did you do that? He goes, there's hundreds of people in the room. How could you walk into the room and pick that guy out and walk in and know something was on? I said, well, Brandon, it's not because of me. I said, we cultivate a life of just listening to the Spirit and having spiritual eyes and spiritual ears, not being so wrapped up in what the world says i got to do, but having just a life of, of being in tune to the Spirit. And I just felt the Spirit of the Lord say, go talk to that guy. And, and I said, you know, you think I was scared? I said, yeah, I thought the guy's going to punch me in the mouth. You know, because who am I? He's a, he's a great big African-American guy, and, you know, and I'm just, you know, skinny white guy. Not so skinny anymore. I was skinnier back then. You know. And I talked to him about how I heard the voice of the Spirit and how, how um, I, I tried to listen and follow and, and in my whole time I'm praying in my head and trying to figure out what God wants and understand that it's not about me killing time, it's about me believing God put me in that place by divine appointment and what's God want to do in somebody's life. And I shared that whole story with him and take it now in his life years further and talking to Brandon and have him say to me one day, you know what changed my life? He said, my life was changed the day we sat down in that, at that center, that drop-in center in Chicago. He goes, because I saw how God worked and I understood. But now, look at Brandon's life. Brandon became, when he grew up, he uh, became very involved in campus ministries when he went to college, became a leader in campus ministries. He's, he has, from that point on, led all kinds of people to Christ. He married a Christian gal from our church and just this phenomenal couple and they're just on number four, child number four right now. He's got a great career. She's got a great career. They're raising four children for Christ. Just Jesus is the center of their world. And he looks back at his life and he goes, it was those events that changed me. Now mom and dad were the ones investing into him all along. I just came alongside and helped. But he needed that, that outside voice. He needed that person to come and to put their arm around him. I've got I to gotta admit to you, there are a lot of times I honestly didn't have the time or the money to invest in a Brandon. I knew every time he went, I'm like, oh boy, he's going to want me to sponsor him. And the fact of the matter is, well, I just didn't have two nickels to my name. But it was worth the investment. And I look at who Brandon is today. And Brandon is a great man of God, leading a great family for God. You know, and he's raising four children for God who will someday raise children for God. And what, to, what, was he, what would he say is the key? 
because some guys spent time with them. And, and a while back, we spent time with Brandon's parents, and they had their, their youngest son, Darren, was the wild guy. He was the wild man, and the dad sat there crying. We talked about Darren, because Darren's now doing great. And I, I, matter of fact, this, sun, this summer, July 6th, Suzanne and I will be going to Marquette, and I'll perform Darren's wedding um, this July 6th. And, um, and his dad sat there crying, and he said, he was, I said, I was always so worried about Darren, but he knew this. Whoever got Brandon would get Darren, because they were so close. And so whoever got Brandon got Darren, he said, because you influenced Brandon, Brandon influenced Darren. Friends, that's what it is. It's just a matter of passing it along. It's a lifestyle of recognizing that God's plan is that we would invest in other people. And so we have to uh, understand that mentoring, this, this point is mentoring, is done by example. So um, you need to say, I want to live a life that's wanting to be modeled. And you've got to take some time to put your arm around somebody and bring them along, even when it's inconvenient. And I'll tell you this, it's always inconvenient. It's always inconvenient. So just put that out of your mind. I'm waiting for it to be convenient. It will never be convenient. But it's worth it. So the third thing. Mentoring, thirdly, involves instruction. In Paul's letters to much of the New Testament, Paul writes letters to Timothy, to Titus, to Philemon. If you read them, what they are is they're simply instructions to his disciples, to the people he's mentoring. And part of the mentoring process with someone is instructing them, is helping them saying, well, this is what's right or this is what's wrong. And this is the point I want to make about that. That the primary instruction you give a person when you're mentoring them is you give them God's word. That's what you focus on when you're mentoring somebody. Helping them understand the Word of God. You see, the key to mentoring success is this. And this is where it's hard. And especially us guys, um, especially when guys get a little older, they think they have all the answers, they've got to tell everybody what to do. That's not the point. It's not about telling people what to do. It's uh, um, understanding that my job in a mentoring relationship is not to necessarily offer my opinion about things, but rather it's to use God's Word as a guidebook and help them understand how they can use God's Word as a guidebook for their life. Teach the person you are mentoring to look to God's Word for instructions and guidance for themselves. So you want to teach them to be dependent on God and His Word, not on you and your advice. And that's a hard thing about mentoring, because we feel good when somebody's dependent on us. But understand, if they're dependent on you, then that's all the further they can go. But God wants you to learn to teach them to be dependent on Him. You know, you want to teach them to be dependent on God and His Word, not on your advice. Help them to learn to look to God's Word. So it requires instruction. Now, there's an, there's an inherent idea in that. It means you need to go know God's Word. You say, yeah, I kind of get bored at the Word. If you get bored at the Word, it's because you're not investing in anybody else. You will, if you invest in other people to mentor them, you will be devouring God's Word because you've got to say, I don't know how to answer this guy's question. I've got to figure out what God has to say about it. And so you mentor with instruction. Number three, number four. And I, I'm going to say this one up front. I'm actually afraid to say this one because sometimes we'll take it to an excess. But it's essential because it's completely found in Scripture. That number four, mentoring requires correction. Mentoring requires correction. And I would say this is probably the toughest part of the mentoring relationship because we like people to like us. Don't we? Who woke up this morning and I said, I hope everybody I see hates me today? <laughs> Anybody? 
The one reason, one reason uh, people don't like to be a leader is because no matter what you do, some people are going to hate you. You know? No matter what you're going to do, you can't, what's this thing? You can please some of the people some of the time and all the people some of the time or whatever, but you can't please all the people all the time. It's just, it's just part of it. But understand, if you're going to really mentor people, it requires opportunities and situations where you're going to probably have to correct somebody. But I would say the times come, but I'd say be intelligent and understand that it's rare that you want to correct somebody. You correct them when the Spirit of the Lord says you need to correct them, when it's a matter of generally of Scripture, um, but you don't want to just jump into it all the time because if you're constantly just bashing on somebody, the mentoring relationship will never go anywhere. But there are situations where you don't have a choice. Now, here's, the, here's a rule I try to follow in that situation. Um, before you correct somebody, ask yourself this simple question. Do you think it will do any good at that time? If not, wait. Scripture says this. Reprove a wise man and he becomes wiser still. Reprove a fool and it blows to your back. So ask yourself, where are they at? If you correct somebody, if you look at the situation and you go, man, I really think something needs to be said, how are they going to respond? You do your best to realize, think about, pray about, is this a time where it can actually work in their life? And if you think it's a time that they can respond to it, even though it hurts their feelings maybe, but you have this love relationship, remember? The love relationship ought to be able to endure that. And you do it with loving and kindness and, 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 and seldom. But you understand there's times you have to correct. Jesus is our model of this. Jesus walked with 12. These guys were 12 great guys. They'd given up everything to follow him. And situation after situation, we find Jesus correcting them. He says, you guys are wrong. You know, you want to be my right and my left? You know, you don't even know what you're talking about. You know, he looks at he looks at at Peter and says, "Peter, you're not looking at this with God's with God's eyes. You're looking at man's eyes." And he calls him Satan. He says, "Get behind me, Satan!" You know, you think that didn't crush Peter's heart? Oh my goodness! But Jesus understood there were times when, under the proper situation, correction needs to happen. There will be times, if you invest in others, that you will need to correct someone. Do it but do it in love. And don't think it's somebody else's responsibility. I'm not in relationship with every person. Don't come to me and say, well, Pastor Mark, somebody ought to say, I'll do the same thing to you. Oh, you're right. The church ought to. You are the church. Understand, if you're in a mentoring relationship, there's those rare times that you're going to have to correct in love. James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20 says it like this. It says, My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. You see, when you correct someone in love, you bless that person and you protect that person and you help that person. And so don't wimp out and say, but I just can't say. There have been times with Brandon. I had to say, Brandon, I don't think this is right. And risk in the relationship. But we need to do it. Last one, number five. This one is just, make sure you write this next one in big, bold letters, okay? Mentoring requires patience. There's the big one. Big letters, man. Mentoring requires patience. Barnabas, this story, Barnabas, you know who Barnabas is in the Bible? He's the guy who, who first took um, Paul when he was Saul of Tarsus, took him under his wing after, after Saul got saved. They, Bar, Paul and, and Barnabas were the ones who went on the first missionary journey for the church. And on that first missionary journey, they took this young man with them named John Mark. Well, John Mark is the one who authored the Gospel of Mark. 
later on. But on that first missionary journey, when they went on that first journey, John Mark, we don't really know the context, but he abandoned them. He, 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 cut, he cut loose and he went home, and they went to go on their second missionary journey, and the Apostle Paul was so ticked off at John Mark that the Barnabas wanted to bring John Mark along, and, bon, and, John, and uh, the Apostle Paul says, there is no way that kid is going with us. And became such a division between Barnabas and, and, and Paul that they actually parted ways, and Barnabas went with John Mark, and Paul took Silas. And when you read about the second missionary journey that Paul goes on, he's now partnered with Silas. And the whole reason is with Silas and not with, with Barnabas because they were in a fight. Because, John, because Barnabas is saying, give him a second chance. Be patient. And the Apostle Paul is saying, absolutely not. I won't put up with it again. That's the situation that went on in that situation. But Barnabas was patient with John Mark. And his patience paid off. Because eventually... John Mark, it doesn't tell us the situation how, but somehow he really began to grow and develop in his faith. He wasn't bailing out anymore. And Scripture says he becomes a great leader. And in fact, I just mentioned, he eventually becomes the author of the Gospel of Mark. And I think that's a book that around here we spent just a little bit of time in recently. Right? Like all last year. He seemed pretty mature to me. And I think one of the greatest things in all the Scripture is, the Apostle Paul one time, he's in jail, he's writing one of his epistles, and he says, and bring with you John Mark, because he's good for me. And he recognized that all these years later, now it's interesting, he says, all these years later, this guy is a great guy, but if it was up to him, he wrote him off years and years and years earlier and said, hit the bricks, buddy, I want nothing to do with you. Why did John Mark become who he did? It wasn't because of Paul. It was because Barnabas. Because Barnabas was patient with him. And that patience got Mark to the place that he needed to go so that he could grow. You see, when you mentor someone, be patient. Oftentimes, understand this, especially if you're mentoring somebody who's you know, not just 13 years old. You know, they've, they've lived a life in this, in this garbage heap of a world. Understand that often people have years of unlearning to do before they ever get to learning. They've got a lot of garbage to clean off. They've got a lot of baggage to get rid of. And it takes time, often years, until a person starts to advance. They're really advancing. You just don't see it. God's doing a work inside of them. It takes years, oftentimes. Barnabas was that kind of a guy, that patient. Patiently keep on bear, being an example. Patiently keep on loving. Patiently keep on instructing. And if you do that, I believe this, you'll see it. Because Scripture shows that and I've lived it. You will see the Holy Spirit work within them. And you will see them develop into a solid follower of Jesus. But it takes a lot of patience. So, just imagine with me. What could God do through us if every one of us began helping somebody else grow in Christ? If every one of us just looked for somebody else who's a couple steps behind us and we put our arm around them and helped them, we built a relationship with them, you know, what would happen if, if when somebody new came to Christ in our congregation, and you know what's cool is it's all the time, when somebody new comes to Christ, that someone would step up and say, you know what, why don't you come over for lunch? Let's spend some time together. Let's, let's hang out for a while. And people would begin to connect with those people and help them to grow and would invest in them. Imagine what would happen if each child in our church had someone in addition to their mother or their father who would befriend them 
and help them through life's challenges. Just imagine what would happen. Think of all the Brandons we could have. Imagine what would happen if um, we would become that incubator that God intends for us to become. If we would say, the time is now. The structure's in place. I believe lives would be transformed for eternity. And I believe that the world would literally be a different place. Our right leg. Mentor people for Christ-like living. Helping them to grow. Would you stand with me this morning? Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we can only imagine what you could do through us if we would take seriously your commission to go and make disciples of all the nations. If we would take seriously the individual commitment to mentoring someone else. We take it seriously as parents. We take it seriously as just as other people. Everybody in the congregation just saying, you know what? I want to wrap my arm around somebody and I want to help them to grow and develop. It's a, parent with a, it's a grandparent with a grandchild. It's an older lady mentoring a younger lady. That Lord, I pray this, that as we look at our lives as 2013 develops, that God, in this year, that every one of us would recognize that there's somebody we can invest into. And we would begin to have eyes wide open and ears attuned to your voice and that we'd recognize who you want us to invest into.